The board of Sydney's gay and lesbian Mardi Gras has withdrawn its invitation to the New South Wales Police Force. There will always be haters. Haters like to hate. Isn't that what Taylor says? ASIO Director General Mike Burgess used his annual threat assessment to reveal details of a foiled plot involving foreign spies who had cultivated a former member of parliament. This politician sold out their country, party, former colleagues to advance the interests of a foreign regime. I want to know who the traitor is. It makes us all question who we can trust. Who of our current and former colleagues can we trust? As the Israel-Gaza war continues, Muslim groups in New South Wales and Victoria have rejected invitations to share an iftar dinner with their state premiers. Former Prime Minister Scott Morrison has delivered his final speech to Parliament as his political career comes to an end. And I can assure you there is no bad blood, as I've always been someone who's been able to shake it off. LA, Australia, a 10-0 thrashing sends the Tillies to Paris. It's a hat-trick for Michelle Haven. Torpy, Fowler turns it home. Caitlin Ford, Michelle Haven, Razo can score. And finally, Amy Sayer, she's made into double figures for Australia. The Matildas are heading to Paris, France for the Olympics. The well, joining me to wrap the week in news and current affairs is former ABC Radio Melbourne broadcaster John Fain. Great to hear that voice of yours again, John. Oh, that's very generous of you and thank you. But you said we were going to digest the news and I'm afraid there's more indigestion than ah, there is digestion. Ah, very good. M- masticate but get uh, indigestion, yes. Uh, Sorry, also, what was that? Uh, masti- m- masticate, isn't that the okay. word for chewing? Just, we'll just we'll, work, check, we'll yeah. work that out later. Uh, GP and uh, uh, former member for Wentworth in Sydney's eastern suburbs, uh, Dr Karen Phelps, great to have you as well. Nice to be here, Andy. Is masticate the right word? Have I misspoken here? <laughs> He's really, he's really derailed the conversation before it even began. Now, listen, uh, Tinker Taylor sold out Australian MP spy. I think Lacare had a better title. However, this week we've been rocked by the news that a former Australian politician was uh, recruited by spies for an unnamed foreign regime. Of course, this has to, well, really set off a chain of, of events in our political and chattering media classes with demands for them to be publicly named and shamed. Mike Burgess made it clear that ASIO shut this plot down and crucially that uh, this had all occurred before the foreign intervention or interference laws, I should say, came into force. I'll throw it open to the floor. Do we have the right to know who this individual is? Should he or she be named and shamed? Over to you guys. Come on, Karen, you, you're the MP, ex-MP. <laughs> uh, look, Andy, I think that this is a very interesting situation. The ASIO boss, Mike Burgess, must have had his reasons for dropping this inform- information about a former MP into his speech on the annual threat assessment this week, but not naming them. He must have expected that it would set off a flurry of speculation, which is exactly what's happened. He said that ASIO helped the unaware ones, was the word he used, unaware ones extract themselves and severed the links between the others and the Foreign Intelligence Service. And then he went on to say several individuals should be grateful the espionage and foreign interference laws are not retrospective. So these allegations date back to pre-2018 when Australia's tough new laws against espionage and foreign interference passed the parliament. And perhaps one of the reasons for the disclosure was that there was no crime committed at the time. And so that person is not named for that reason. And perhaps it was also to fire a metaphorical shot across the bow of current and future MPs to be aware of this sort of approach. Do you think that this sounds like a frustrated uh, spy boss, John? 
Well, I'm mindful of a few things. First of all, all the pre-budget negotiations are underway for departmental bosses wanting to impress upon the politicians how vital it is that their bids get given due recognition and through the budget process, whether or not that's what's going on here. Because if it's really six years ago that he's talking about, why bring it up suddenly now? I just don't get it. Every politician is constantly told to be careful not to be compromised. If you're overseas, if you're visiting uh, other countries, you know, knock on the door, all that sort of stuff, the gift that's left for you unsolicited or whatever it might be. So I just don't get it. Um, I think we don't need to know who it is. And in fact, Mr Burgess also said it would it would compromise operational matters if he was to reveal any more. So he's playing his cards close to, the, close to his chest, but it's very strategic, isn't it? It's very strategic. And I know we're going to talk about the Dunkley by-election later, but the proximity oh, to that, does that have any political relevance, do you think, Karen? Well, I don't think that the head of ASIO can be politically partisan. I, I, I have a feeling that this was a, a scheduled speech and that he was going to say what he was going to say for whatever his reasons are. And I don't think that we can really have any kind of theories about whether it was related to an unexpected by-election. You don't have to name any names, but when you were in Parliament, how much of a concern is this? I mean, it's sort of an occupational hazard. You're basically paid to engage with all members of the public. In fact, you're torn down if you don't consult widely. And then some of them, uh, obviously, clearly, have sort of nefarious ends. Did you ever get your hackles up in meetings that you've had? No, I, I didn't. But then I, I guess I wasn't there for a very long time and uh, and I was on the crossbench at the time. So I wasn't a member of the government uh, or a member of a, of, a, of a government or opposition party. Uh, so, uh, you know, we were at that time very much focused on issues around attention to climate action uh, and issues around integrity and and issues around the treatment of refugees in indefinite detention. So uh, that's that's not something that came up uh, into into my orbit at that time. But I'm sure that uh, MPs are, generally speaking, very aware that if somebody approaches them um, to do any extracurricular activities that they're likely to be paid for or that there is some kind of... Uh, foreign government associated that they would have to have their radar on. John, Peter Dutton seemed pretty convinced yesterday that the traitor, uh, that's Joe Hockey's words, not mine, is a former Labor MP from New South Wales, which again set a whole bunch of tongues wagging. And certainly Mike Burgess gave no clues away. But this is an issue that has touched every party in Parliament, isn't it? He's walking a pretty dangerous line, I would have thought. Well, I'm not sure anyone's got clean hands, and it's not just foreign espionage. I mean, think about who it is that influences our members of parliament, whether it's a you know a, a Chinese state-owned and controlled business or whether it's a military contractor, whether it's an oligarch, whether it's a mining company, whether it's all sorts of different entities that constantly are walking around the corridors of power, that are hiring lobbyists, that are engaging in PR campaigns, making political donations, they're trying to influence our parliamentarians all the time. This is no great secret or surprise. No one should be astonished. 
I want to move on and talk about the news of Meta, the parent company of Facebook this afternoon, more or less throwing the toys out of the cot, uh, not renewing commercial deals with the Australian news businesses, including the ABC, it should be said. Uh, these are due to expire in the next few months. If you heard my conversation with Professor Monica Attard last hour, she uh, is a keen observer here. She said, of course, it didn't come as a surprise. She was saying that even some uh, uh, employees of, of Facebook in Australia, uh, whose task it was to handle these kinds of news inquiries, haven't been answering the phone quite literally. So, John, why do you think Meta have said enough's enough here? Are they not deriving value from hosting news on, on Facebook? Well, uh, they probably think, first of all, Australia is an interesting incubator in which to test what governments in Western democracies will do if they play this game, because they're a global player. They've got, you know, presence in every single nation. So, you know, let's poke the bear. And we've just seen in New Zealand, the commercial television network has collapsed. Media entities, it's no surprise to any of the listeners, media entities are going through extraordinary upheaval. And Monica was really interesting when she was explaining how, you know, this is a strict commercial play. I reckon they think they'll be forced to the table and they'll end up making a payment, but it will probably be less than what they were paying before. Now, you know, they're not shy. These are massive oligarchs, and I might say they're somewhat greedy. What troubles me is that they are happy to milk the Australian community and the economy and take whatever they can, but I'm not sure what, if anything, they put back. Now, you know, the media companies, the legacy, the old-fashioned media companies that have produced newspapers, radio, television for years, have a long history of exploring what it is to have a social licence. I'm not sure what the social licence is for I the social media right companies. I think you're right there. I'm not sure what the actual service is anymore. Cameron, yeah. uh, do you get the feeling, uh, I'm not sure how much of an active user, I'm, I'm not sure if we're friends on Facebook, he says in a slightly <laughs> jilted, jilted tone. However, you, yeah, I just wonder if there, it's a diminishing return on investment when the investment's pretty low for users, let's face it. But, I mean, what's your thoughts here? There are still a lot of people who use Facebook to connect with others and particularly people who have common interests. Uh, but Facebook's been engaged in quite a bit of uh, censorship of, of what people are able to put onto Facebook and what they're able to discuss and they're doing a fair bit of muting in areas like vaccine injury, for just one example. And uh, and, and so, uh, you know, that they are monitoring what they say is of interest to the the people who are using the platform, uh, but I think when they, when they are uh, using in intellectual property that has been gathered through the infrastructure and the efforts of media organisations, that it's only reasonable uh, that that if that is being republished, that they should be. Um, helping to contribute to the cost of collecting that information and, and publishing it. It's uh, 18 past five on RN Drive. You're hearing from Dr. Karen Phelps and broadcaster and journalist John Fain. It's Mardi Gras in Sydney tomorrow, a usually very joyous celebration for the LGBTQI community. It's one of the most celebrated events of any kind in its world, uh, in this world. It's sadly, though, it's been overshadowed by the appalling alleged murders of Jesse Baird and Luke Davies, again, allegedly at the hands of police officer Bo Lamar Condon. Uh, now, in the wake of, the, of this, the Sydney Mardi Gras 
Parliamentary Committee decided on Monday, I believe, to effectively withdraw a standing invitation to the New South Wales Police to march in uniform in, para- uh, in the parade, uh, saying that this was out of deference to the community in mourning. What, what's your position on this, Karen? Because I've spoken to a few 78ers uh, this week who've said that, um, you know, it was a rash move of the Mardi Gras board. Uh, do you think it's a, a reasonable request? I think it is absolutely unreasonable and I think it was uh, a decision I would prefer to have been made with consultation with both the police and the Mardi Gras membership and the broader LGBTQI plus community. Uh, We know that the LGBTQI plus community has had a difficult history with the New South Wales Police going way back to when homosexuality was illegal. The 78ers tell the story about being met by violence from the New South Wales Police but we've moved a long way since then. You know, Jackie and I have um, attended We're at Purple community events hosted by Senior New South Wales Police. There's a whole group of operational police uh, LGBTQI plus liaison officers across the state who are doing great work in the community. Uh, look, the, the relationship's not perfect, but it's improved so much. And it's it's really important that there is a positive relationship between police and the community and, and groups like the LGBTQI plus community because it's essential to our safety, to our well being. And there are also, you know, LGBTQI plus uh, officers who are currently serving uh, who are, have been proudly marching, wearing their uniforms. They weren't allowed to march before 1998 in uniform. And, you know, I was at that Mardi Gras parade with Jackie and I had just been outed. And, uh, and it was just the most enormously exciting and momentous event when they, they were able to march in uniform. And I think that is that's one of the the, the signals of, of a, an improving relationship uh, over, over that time. John, I know that you're a keen observer of crisis communications and Police Commissioner, New South Wales Police Commissioner Karen Webb took a, a fairly long time to address the public uh, and, and even made uh, an apology through the Daily Telegraph. Uh, can you see how this might have angered some people in that community? Yeah, I can. And I defer to Karen because she's got a lifetime of experience, first-hand lived experience of exactly this issue. But I'm going to link it to what we were talking about a moment ago as well as something we haven't yet talked about, but I hope we get to. I'm going to link it to social media and then to the cancellation of the Premier's iftars for the Muslim community in Sydney and Melbourne. And all three are examples of cancel culture. The Facebook decision, here is an organisation that is fragmenting, willfully fragmenting the way we communicate. It leads to people choosing that they only want to hear things they agree with, they don't want to hear things that they disagree with, and they don't. They can select what they listen to and what news and information they digest. And that leads to a polarisation in our community, which is what we're seeing. I've personally been committed to and have participated in countless events. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I was raised Jewish. I'm not a practising Jew, but I identify as a member of the Jewish community. And I have gone to countless events organised with the Muslim community where people have broken bread and exchanged ideas and perspectives. Likewise, with the Mardi Gras, okay, people are upset. That's not a time to withdraw into your shell. It's actually a time to reach out and explain to people what you're upset is about and how you feel about it. And I'm really, I'm, as a society, I'm really worried that we're 
we're losing the ability to respectfully disagree with people and find the areas we have in common as opposed to a readiness to find the points of disagreement instead. And that really troubles me. And it's those kinds of rough edges where different members of the community get the chance to exchange ideas and see each other as uh, individuals, not parts of partisan sides, that we don't seem to have those opportunities anymore. What do you think about this, Kara? I mean, obviously, John's comments about cancel culture more broadly, but also um, the, the attempted non-inclusion of uh, uniformed police officers in the Mardi Gras, whether that sort of cuts out the, uh, the participation and the chance for dialogue. Well, I think it does. And and not marching in uniform is, you know, a bit of like, uh, you know, the backflip you have when you're not having a backflip. Uh, but I think it, you know, is important that those LGBTQI plus police officers and those who are allies uh, who want to march are able to march, that they're not prohibited from marching. But I, I still think it's disappointing that they can't march with the symbolism of, of their uniform and uh, and to, to identify themselves as um, New South Wales police officers, and of course the AL, A, AFP have decided that they won't be marching. Uh, but there are other groups that that do march symbolically in uniform, like members of the ADF, for example. Uh, so you know, I, th- I think that you know we 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 should be fostering a, a kind of inclusive and accepting. Uh, culture, particularly amongst uh, marginalised communities. And I, th- I think that if you're cancelling an event uh, because you're doing that in protest at, at, you know, something that is happening uh, that is of great importance to, you know, one particular section of the community, I think that that uh, cuts out the opportunity for you to communicate and to f- and to encourage harmony to uh not stoke division. I mean, it, you know, as John rightly pointed out, there's a lot of stoking of division at the moment rather than trying to understand the perspective of the other. And I think cancelling a community-based dinner like that that, you know, is a is a, a, a regular event on, on the calendar for New South Wales and it's also happening in Victoria as well, I think that's really disappointing because it is a missed opportunity to uh, encourage greater harmony and understanding in the community at a time when there is so much division. Yeah, as I keep on repeating, we have more in common than we have apart. I do want to come to the other major issue ahead of the Dunkley by-election. Let's go to John's neighbourhood here, or part of the world at least. In Melbourne, south-east, this was the seat held by Labor member Peter Murphy, who sadly died last December. And we should also acknowledge the passing of Victorian Labor Senator Linda White, whom Anthony Albanese labelled the most senior backbencher ever today. Very sad news. Uh, John... devastating. She was a fabulous person to deal with. Uh, Yeah, and I dealt with her through my professional work, not as a personal friend, but she was an absolutely supreme organiser and trade union leader, and she will be much, much missed. Labor holds Dunkley on a margin of 6.3%. If, as many pundits have suggested, uh, we should treat this by-election as a referendum on the government's changes to stage three tax cuts, what sort of numbers would be read as a victory for Anthony Albanese, John? I think if they hold the seat, then that's, you know, sort of, phew, that was good, um, depending on the magnitude of the swing and everyone will be reading things into the tea leaves. But the attempts to turn this into something that it isn't, which is, a, you know, a, a contest on you know, border security or whatever it might be, with the High Court ordering the release of people illegally detained, contrary to the Constitution. I mean, it's none of those things. This is a community down in Dunkley, which moves from, there's a, there's a rich pocket down at Mount Eliza, but most of them are 
pretty much, you know, there's people who are struggling and there's some very poor pockets in Frankston too, some very large areas of public housing. Um, I'll, I'll be surprised if there's a high turnout. I think it'll be a low turnout. Uh, the pundits are expecting the Labor Party to, you know, hang on but maybe lose a few points. I don't think it's going to be overly significant if that's what happens. Of course, if they lose the seat, then everyone will be, you know, predicting that that's the beginning of the end of the Albanese government. Not sure that's right either. But, um, you know, it, as always, elections, it'll be about cost of living. It'll be about schools and hospitals and state government issues. I mean, let's remember, most people don't know the difference between the federal and the state government. They're not sure which one looks after what. Is there a mood to give this government a bit of a kick? I'm not sure. I, I mean, you know, I don't live down that way, but sure, people are doing it tough, but they also know that you know, things are turning around and they've, you know, they've got pay rises after years of not having them. So it'll be really interesting to see. It'll be very interesting. I've covered enough by-elections, Karen, to know that when you see the furry eyebrows of John Howard, you know, the libs are worried. And you've <laughs> seen this afternoon that Labor has wheeled out Julia Gillard, no less, to sell their case. Does that signal a heightened level of concern amongst uh, Labor? Well, I'm sure that they've been looking at the tea leaves themselves and they know that it's going to take about a 7% swing uh, towards the coalition for them to lose this seat and I'm sure that they don't want to lose it and they'll be pulling out all stops. I also saw a number of senior Liberal identities uh, handing out in the, in the seat as well and there's a lot of focus from, from both sides on, on this particular Seat, um, but you know, it was the, this by-election was triggered by the death of the sitting MP Peter Murphy. Uh, I don't think that uh, that there, there is, by the sounds of it, going to be the six point three or more percent swing away from Labor in that seat. I think it would be a surprise if that was the case. Uh, it's possible the coalition will see any swing if they lose as a victory, but it's not a victory unless you win the seat. But I'm sure that any swing towards the coalition will be seen as a positive sign for them. Mm. Uh, in particular after the uh, embarrassing performance they've had this week on the former detainee mm -hmm. who was falsely arrested and charged and they made a big deal about in Parliament uh, until they found out that the Victorian police had arrested the wrong person. So, you know, it's it's been a tricky week for the Coalition. I'm sure they'd be looking for some good, good news. Indeed, indeed. Uh, we're going to clear out for PM, uh, but always a pleasure to have you both. ABC Radio Melbourne, uh, former ABC Radio Melbourne broadcaster, John Fain, great to have you and GP Dr. Karen Phelps, uh, who was previously the federal member for Wentworth, have yourselves a wonderful weekend. Great to talk to you both. You too, Andy. Thanks, Andy. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.